the F1 pod. Before we get started on the French Grand Prix, um, I would like to say hello from the lovely Hawaii. We're in Oahu right now. I believe. Aloha. Aloha. Hello and goodbye. I believe Erica is uh, in Montana right now, and Ashish is the only one left in Seattle. Erica. That's it. I'm the only one left. (laughs) (laughs) And. I have a cold, so forgive any uh, unpleasantness to my voice. I am slowly getting Thank over you. it. This episode Sucks being sick after a year and a half, man. I think your voice is sexy, Erica. We need to do some karaoke. You need to do some Selena Gomez. Just oh, I'll just fly over to Hawaii and yeah. start singing. Alaska Airlines, we need a sponsorship. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> And now back to actual facts about F1, the one thing that we are all here for. So we are covering today the French Grand Prix. It is known as the first Grand Prix. It was originally held in 1906. It unfortunately was not held last year, but it did come back this year. Um, Michael Schumacher has the most wins with eight. And Ferrari, unlike this year, has the most constructor wins with 17. (laughs) It is uh 5.842 kilometers and it is 53 left um i think we should probably head into qualifying well before we do that i do want to mention that this track also has i'm gonna be off on this number but i think i saw like 127 different combinations of track they can actually set up at this place uh i think that's right that's why the lines are like that. It's because they can do co- different configurations based off what they're hosting, what they want. Oh, okay. I can imagine being a driver and trying to figure that out. Well, that and like there's points think- where like the whole meme of trying to like, there's a place where you could just go straight or you could just actually yeah. stay on the track and turn, but it looks all the same. Ashish, you're going to say something. This is one of the reasons it's one of the most boring races relative to other places because it's super flat, which is why they're able to make so many different configurations on it. It's like you just go out in a parking lot and you put different orange cones and you're like, oh, tomorrow I'm going to make a right turn here, you know, and then a week from now I'll make a left turn here. So I think that's that's one of the things that detracts from this track, uh, track in, my, in my opinion. That being said, I don't yeah. think it was a boring race. Well, yeah, I mean, it definitely proved not to be boring. I mean, if anything, qualifying was the one that was boring after Q1. Uh, right. What a segue by Matt Glover, by the way. <laughs> um, as we go into talking about qualifying. Snaps for Matt. Uh, Master Madge, you know, directing traffic around here. Uh, Q1 was really the one thing what everyone was talking about just because you had Yuki. He couldn't even make it past the second turn before he ended up spinning out in the one place that didn't have the paint that slowed you down. He went into the sand and like reverse and had the butt shaking moment where he hit the wall that way. We had a Yuki Spinoda. Wow. <laughs> wow. You stole that. Here it is. Here it is. You didn't think of that. Uh, then you had, then you had Mick Schumacher, um, make it in the Q2, but it was like he was following his Ferrari folks by wrecking his car to get into Q2 and then not being able to actually participate 
in Q2 because the car was so messed up. And while all this is happening, poor Lance Stroll doesn't know what time it is. Doesn't know what's going on. <laughs> there's red flags. There's yellow flags. There's all kinds of things happening, and uh, he misses out. But the rest of of qualifying was pretty pretty status quo for the most part. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I would say it was a pretty typical qualifying of is Max or Hamilton going to take it? Um, yeah. Yeah. It was. But, but despite Hamilton and Verstappen, Verstappen being pretty close for one and two, Verstappen, he was consistently number one throughout all of qualifying. So while it was close in the end, I don't think for the duration of qualifying, it was actually that close, I want to say. I feel like he was just ready to dominate the race in general. I feel like his head was already there. He was already a winner. Well, the car, I mean, the car is humming right now. And the Mercedes mm-hmm. cars actually had a really nice qualifying, too. Yeah, yeah which, I mean, there was so much buzz about the chassis swap between Hamilton and Botas, and it didn't really seem to do anything. Which that's the other than there were a lot of memes about it. What was that, Matt? I thought I saw Lewis shut that down. That it like what did they swapped or that they oh no he shut down that there was any big deal about it. Oh okay, which I get. It I mean it didn't show to be a big deal. No, I mean they raced like they normally race quite frankly. Out of qualifying was the fact that all the front runners started off on the uh, medium tires. And I think from 11 or 10 onwards, everybody was on the harder tires. And I think, yeah, um, I think that had implications for later in the race, especially for teams like, Aston Martin and for Alpine, because I think there was the, you know, we've spoken about it in the last uh, podcast where there's this battle for first that's happening between uh, Mercedes and, and Red Bull, and then Ferrari and McLaren are having their own little battle. But then you have this midfield pack with uh, Alpha Tauri, uh, Aston Martin, and Alpine, where um, I think some of the more interesting strategy discussion. Uh, decisions were, were happening. So um, we'll talk about it in the race recap, but that was like kind of the, the most notable thing for me is, you know, um, depending on where they ended up qualifying, um, you know, everybody in kind of the bottom half decided to go with the, with the harder tire for the longer first stint and then switching to the mediums towards the end versus everybody in the top 10, you know, were obviously on the medium tires to try and get the most, um, the best position in 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 Q3. So. Mhm. Yeah, and that's a good point. I also well, thought it was interesting that we were the tires were C2 through C4, so kind of through the mid-range. Um with the degradation that was happening on the track, I was surprised that they didn't do the higher harder tire which i don't actually know if c1 is the softest or c5 is so yes the yellow markings that's the little like yellow 
what do they call them? Uh, not barriers, but like the curbs. Um, the the cur- yeah, like the, the yellow curbs. Man, those things were ruthless. Yeah. I mean, they shredded Carlos Sainz's tires, uh, and he wasn't the only one who had some issues with it. I mean, people were going over him. It oh, was, that it was, was when he spun out into the. Um, it was the paint. He spun out into the red paint. Well, yeah, then the there's blue that, paint, then, it was like the medium grade, and then the red paint is like, I'm going to stop you and just eat your tires. So the blue paint slows you down a little bit. The red paint slows you down a lot. Yeah. And it well, worked really well. <laughs> also, yeah. coming out of the Verstappen and the Stroll uh, tire incident from Baku, they're running higher pressure, pressures. Uh, for France, yep. because that's what Fairley said was that was the tire failures were caused by them running lower pressure, which caused the sidewalls to get uh, under more strain than expected. So I think the I think when we heard the dri- drivers talk to uh, talk to the race about how there there was much higher than expected degradation. I think that was a number of issues, like you guys are pointing out, the mm-hmm. track surface itself was super abrasive, but then. The, the the tires were running at higher pressures, probably causing a little bit more wear than they anticipated. Yeah. Yeah, it was a interesting race for tire strategy, that's for sure, which is not the first time we've said that this season. No, no. It actually, I think it's the one aspect of Formula One that is one of the more interesting parts just because of the timing of it all and how it all plays to yep. the overall picture of the race. But we will definitely get to that. Um, any other thoughts on qualifying? Just that I love the nope. meme of Max getting pole position with the tire and they shredded the tire. <laughs> <laughs> So that was the best part of it. <laughs> so Ashish has got a, his, his weekly uh, tech, tech talk here that he always brings to our recaps. Uh, Ashish, what you got for us today? So I want to talk a little bit about the drag reduction system or the DRS today. So I think uh, this was pretty evident during the, the French race. So I want to talk about what it is, but more importantly, why it was introduced and uh, what the impact of, uh, of it has been. And this year is actually the 10th anniversary of uh, the DRS system actually being implemented in, in Formula One. So very simply, uh, you know, what DRS is designed to do is make overtaking easier. And the way that it accomplishes this is by reducing the drag on the car and drag essentially slows down the car. So the way that F1 accomplishes this, this is the uh, rear ring has two elements, a flap and a main plane. And when a driver is uh, one second or uh, or less behind uh, a particular car through a detection zone, he's able to activate the CRS. The flap opens up, which reduces drag, and that um, gives him about a 10 to 12 mile per hour speed advantage, which makes it easier for him to pass the car in, in front of him. Uh, there are certain rules about when uh, DRS can be used. For example, it can't be used during the first two laps of the race or when the race director deems it to be um, unsafe. For example, when it's raining or when uh, there's a yellow flag. 
So that's the technical uh, reason, uh, kind of background as to what DRS is, but really what, why was it introduced? So up until um, 2011, leading up to that 2011 season, there was there were a lot of complaints uh, from the drivers, from fans, from the teams about how uh, boring F1 was starting to become because there was so little passing. Uh, and one of the main reasons for this was the cars were becoming increasingly sensitive aerodynamically. What that basically meant is if you were in a fast car following somebody, uh, the turbulent air coming off of the back of the car in the front of you would essentially uh, make you lose grip in the front end because your front wings weren't uh, working effectively. Uh, and really the, the tipping point was uh, at the end of the 2010 season, um, Fernando Alonso essentially lost the race in a, or not lost the race, but uh, didn't score enough points um, because he was stuck behind a slower car and he could not pass him. And essentially that ended up handing uh, Sebastian uh, Vettel a world championship, right? And Vettel hadn't led the world championship. By Interesting. Time. So, so, so basically over that off season, you know, uh, you know, the, the teams and the FIA came together and said, okay, next year we're going to implement um, this drag reduction system. And uh, the results are kind of self-evident. So in 2010, uh, over 19 races, there were 452 overtakes, according to Autosport. In 2011, that jumped up to 821. And consistently, wow. the uh, average number of overtakes, yeah, in the DRS era, has essentially doubled. Now, um, there are years that are slight anomalous, anomalies where that average falls down because of uh, other factors. But overall, um, DRS has done what it was designed to do, which is increase overtaking. It is still controversial. Uh, you know, a lot of purists say that it's, um, it's fake, it's gimmicky, you know, drivers should be able to pass on the track, you know, you know, back in my day, if you needed to pass a driver, you'd do it on track. You didn't need to push a button and things like that. But, uh, you know, I, I think overall, it's, uh, the system, as I mentioned, has done what, the, what it's designed to do. Uh, I don't know whether it's going to be here in 10 years, uh, but uh, I think um, uh, we will definitely see it over the, at least uh, this season, uh, be a factor um, between Red Bull and, and Mercedes as these guys are, are battling. Um, as we go through the laps, I think um, we'll note the fact that after the first pit stop, Hamilton was hounding uh, Verstappen and he was able to make up the gap between the Mercedes and uh, the Honda's uh, top speed by essentially using DRS on the straights to stay within that, uh, that passing window. But yeah, mm -hmm. uh, with that, I'll throw it over to Erica for the race review. Well, so before we yeah. get into the race reviews, I got I have to ask some questions. Uh, so for DRS, <laughs> it's all mm -hmm. communicated. Like they can't. Like it's probably do, are racers able to eyeball when they can use DRS against another driver? Like are they able to tell they're within a sec? Like the 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 time frame to use it, or does do the engineers or the person on the radio say, hey, like press it, go. So there is an indicator on the steering wheel that basically tells them that okay. they're within DRS range and they're able to activate the, the DRS. So the um, so there is some amount of manual control uh, that the driver maintains, and then they have a signal that basically tells them that they're within a second. Now, of course, DRS can't be deployed anywhere uh, on the track. It has to be within the designated DRS zone. And the 
Uh, and for safety reason, as soon as the driver hits the brakes, like he's coming to the end of a turn, that slap automatically shuts down because you do need that grip at that point in time for, for safety reasons. Okay, that makes sense. So it's like it's like the original technology for motion sensing that you see on cars today. <laughs> Uh, yeah, I think it's a it's a bit of an, like an external sensor and an internal sensor. So there's a couple of different things going on. Um, again, I, I think one of the impacts of the of Formula One at recent DRS has been uh, other racing series have started to adopt it. Uh, I think uh, the the lower tier Formula Two and Formula Three have adopted it, and I believe certain uh, um, other European road series have adopted it. So I don't know. Maybe in ten years we'll see it on our road cars. Um, I'm, I'm pretty sure it'll make my 2006 Mazda 6 go super fast on I5. So um, <laughs> yeah, fingers crossed. They already have that in the south. It's called a big truck in crazy drag. <laughs> yeah, you, you, this is why, like, you, you reduce drag by leaving your bed open. <laughs> right. <laughs> That's how aerodynamics work. Yeah. And that has it's been Matt's science corner. It's the same idea. It's the same idea. All right. Uh, that's very interesting because I, I've always wondered, like, it seems to make sense that DRS, obviously it's been a big part of this season as well, especially this race, um, because it caused, was part of the, the best part of the entire race, which we will get to at the end. Uh, but now going off, going into the French Grand Prix officially, um, Max, generally known for his great starts, uh, had some trouble on this one where he just kind of couldn't find the line, and Lewis kind of showed him up there and, and took advantage of a really nice start. He did mention the win. There were numerous drivers that mentioned win was a factor in the beginning. That's why you saw quite a few oopsies in, our, in around like turn one. They were kind of gliding everywhere, so they lost that control. I don't know how bad the wind was, but they did say that it was a big factor in in that kind of weird driving that he had. And that's what he said. He may just be covering for a, a whoopsie-daisy. Yeah, no, I mean, I, you, I heard me. him say that – oh, go ahead. Oh, no, I just want to point out that Norris was the other driver that got impacted by the wind. I think uh, both Ricardo and Alonso were able to jump in for the same reason. I think uh, there was some wind yeah. that caused both of them to just kind of veer off. They weren't able to control the car going into the, into that turn. Yeah. Yeah, I think Max has a little bit less of an excuse because he didn't have the dirty air also playing into it. Um, and I, I think... I don't know. I was very surprised that he had such a poor start. I mean, he he had been racing so well all weekend. Um, but yeah, so Lewis all of a sudden was in the lead. And I mean, what was the statistic? He had led all but one of the last, I don't know, 300 laps or something at the track. And it was kind of like, well, here, here we, we go are again. again. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, and then but the, and then the another thing that here. happened right off the bat was McLaren almost immediately yes. started racing each other. I'm so excited we're getting to talk about this because Erica, you and I had a similar spat about McLaren, like <laughs> Ricardo and Lando did about McLaren. 
And Matthew and I were talking about it at dinner because, of course, we can't get away from F1 even while we're supposed to be celebrating our anniversary. So what, what, <laughs> what I thought about while we were talking about it, because you said that they're supposed to be their biggest competitors, like your teammate is your biggest competitor, then you kind of like that there's a little bit of spiciness between them, which I, I do, too. I think it I think it drives them. But one of the I'm sorry. If you're gonna tell me that you don't like the drama between the teammates, I just I don't. Do, like I do. You. I do. I do. Love, I do love the drama. But the the biggest thing I think that we kind of differed on is how it impacted the team. So I did want to parallel it with with how I work. So in my actual day job, until we get sponsorships and you know get to jet around to see all of these races, <laughs> I am, <laughs> I'm a I'm a team lead where I have four sales employees and they all have sales goals and they all have the exact same roles. They're all the exact same title. And the thing is, is every Monday we get a ranking of them nationally and in the state and then in the area and then even in my team. So they get stacked ranked quite a few times over. And the thing that I try to make sure that we have is a good culture and that they do have some friendly competition because I've been with the same company for six years and I've seen some really nasty teams that they have one really, really good person and they kind of take everything and then it creates turnover and it's just a bad atmosphere and then people leave and then they in general just aren't a good team. And then now I'm just going to toot my own horn. We are one of the top ranked teams <laughs> in the nation and it's because we work well together, but we also we also have each other's back, but we also compete against each other. So I think that when you can create a culture where they get along, you don't have to waste your time controlling different divas and different, you know, personalities where you can just get it done. So it's less of a time waste and less of contracts turning over where you don't have like uh, Lando, you know, invested in McLaren and then next year. Uh, Ricardo's gone and then they have to find another driver for Orlando so I think when you work better together you can just have the contracts that just keep going so you can have a better team in the long run well and so with with McLaren it's like especially when you started saw it at the start you were like oh wow this actually might start getting spicy while you have yeah. Ricardo just like dive bombing down the right <laughs> side at the beginning of the race and I got to say, I was really excited to finally see some vintage Honey Badger. I felt like he yeah. was the most comfortable I've seen him all season. Uh, but Absolutely. yeah, I mean, so he, had, he, yeah. Had, he had his great start. He had his great start. Um, Stroll and Snowda had great starts. Uh, and the McLarens were just hunting at the beginning of this race, the first, the, the first little bit. Like, I mean, they started out not the best qualifying all time but i mean they were just in attack mode at the beginning oh yeah uh gasly was also a very strong start i mean by lap five he had passed leclerc um which we'll talk about the ferraris at some point i'm sure <laughs> that was a tough race tough race we don't for have to, uh, um, we don't have to talk about the ferraris if it's too too sensitive. <laughs> I know. It's just... I do want to make a note about Leclerc later on, so we will have to talk about the Ferraris as she stars. I oh no, I 
Uh, trust me. Uh, yeah, there was there was there was a couple interesting uh, points in the race with um, two former Ferrari drivers having a little bit of fun with uh, with, with Ferrari. I think that's that's not that's worthy of 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 us noting. But um, yeah, we'll cover it when we get towards the towards the tail end of the race. Yeah, I I will say that uh, Leclerc had posted something on his Instagram earlier before the race noting that it was the fourth anniversary of his father's death so i i think that there was a lot more happening uh mentally for him that made it a tough race but um tough day for ferrari tough day for ferrari it's hard it's hard to really fully blame the drivers too since both cars struggled in the race right Uh, I mean, let's just cover Ferrari now. Like, <laughs> they, they, I, yeah, they I mean, had, they they're, good, they're not they going to come up much later. They had a good qualifying. They just kept dropping throughout this race. I've never seen anything like yeah. that. Yeah. Especially from a yeah, team that, as we've talked about previously, like McLaren and Ferrari are in this neck and neck battle, yet, like, neither one really wants to make that punch. McLaren came out this weekend ready to take that punch where Ferrari again just misses another opportunity and so like this one this one hurt so I think and I think it was one of the announcers that was saying this um the PSI actually had a pretty big play into that which I don't know what that says about how they are filling their tires normally, uh, but I think having to put the tires at a higher PSI may have impacted their race more than other teams. Ashish, if you have any further caller commentary on that beyond what I'm regurgitating, please feel free to share. (laughs) I I don't, I I think it may have been a a, a factor. I think we, we noted that definitely this was a change that was not anticipated so um the teams just haven't had that much time to react but i think uh they did they were one of the teams that started off with medium tires and then switched to the hard tires so i think that switch over probably didn't end up helping them in the long run because i think as we saw those hard tires did start dropping off um i think at one point in time um both of the Alphas were running ahead of both of the Ferraris. And even though the Alphas hadn't uh, hadn't Yikes. put it, I think it was kind of hard to see, <laughs> you know, that combination. And then um, I don't think they, I think it was, a, it was likely also a combination of, of strategy, but I think Alonso passing Leclerc, Vettel passing him. Uh, I think all those guys, like, you know, the, the Alpines and the, Aston Martin's finishing ahead of the Ferraris was probably uh, a pretty deep blow. Um, and, and I don't yeah. know whether they'll be able to react in one week's time for, for Austria, right? If, uh, you know, if, mm-hmm. if, it, if it's something that they can fix going forward. Well, yeah. And what a, what a, it's a great point just because what a terrible time to find that your car is not running the way you want it to when you have a right. And like points are going to add up really quickly right now. Uh, I mean, like just for our yeah. podcast, it's like the turnarounds really quick. Like we have another one next week, another <laughs> one next week. We're all going to be recaps. Uh, 
Like, it's, I mean, imagine being an engineer trying to work on a car. We're just trying to upload podcasts. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Because McLaren yeah. right I mean, now is at they're at 110 points and Ferrari's at 94. So if they have another right. race like this coming up, I mean, it's it's going to be really hard to keep coming back. And it was a two-point gap yeah. going into the race. Yep. Where Ferrari was ahead, I right. believe. So not only did you lose your space, your place, but now you have you know 16-point gap. Yeah. Yeah, it's going to be going to be interesting to see how Austria goes for them. I know they're going to work hard and try to figure out what the next step is, but man, tough day for them. So, but anyway, back to note, the race. <laughs> yeah, so I made I made a note here that as the race got going, uh Lance Stroll quietly just overtake after overtake. He found himself at 14th um and this is kind of the first quarter of the race where i looked up and yeah, I was like, oh yeah. wow Lance, dude let's go uh it was nice to see him kind of recover a little bit and obviously i think he ended up ninth or i think he ended up 10th um stroll had a really nice race uh, the aston martins after not the greatest qualifying of all time uh saving themselves a little bit there but again got to talk about mclaren we got to talk about Ricardo. Yeah. I'm going to have a, I want a sheesh to talk about Ricardo. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I, I mean, I, I'll say this. I, I think um, he needs sustained performance, right? So yeah, he did, he did well this time around. That's awesome. Um, but it's too early to say whether this is a fluke or whether this is the beginning of him getting over, getting used to the car. I think we, uh, we brought this up on the last podcast, which is it takes a new driver about five to six races to kind of settle into the car. Uh, some have done it much faster, like Carlos Sainz and, and Sergio Perez. Um, some are taking longer, like uh, you know yeah, uh, Ricardo and, and, and Yuki. So uh, I, I'm going to reserve judgment. Like, wait, let's wait to see how he does in Australia. Uh, Austria, rather, sorry. Um, and then the stretch of races, which is going to take everybody to the summer break at the end of July. And if he, you know, consistently performs at that level, then, yeah, I think, uh, you know, I'll, uh, I'll agree the old, uh, old, old Danny Rick is fine. I think, Erica, you, you made a great point offline um, that uh, about Ricardo and Norris and their respective roles and the uh, McLaren team. And, you know, maybe you want to talk about that a little bit since we're on the, on the topic. Yeah. So uh, talking to a friend's dad about F1, because this is my life now. Um, we He's a, he's Australian. He's a big fan of Daniel Ricciardo. Um, so, you know, that's what a lot of our conversation focuses on. And he is a long, long, long time F1 fan. He was showing me pictures of a race in Dallas in, I think, 1982 or something. Um so he was saying that the difference in the roles at McLaren right now is Lando is out there to get as many points as he can for the team, but Daniel is there to get them to build a championship winning car, which is a very interesting distinguishment in the roles of obviously they both want to win, but Lando kind of has more of that short-term, let's do as best as we can this season, 
versus Ricardo is let's be a, let's figure out how to make a car that can challenge Mercedes and Red Bull. And I thought that, you know, honestly, that's probably entirely true. That, that seems to be how all of this is playing out. And even the conversations with the engineers of, you know, asking about his tires when they, they called him Darren. I guess that was one thing that we forgot to mention in qualifying. Um, the Darren comment was hilarious. Yeah. That poor McLaren engineer can't figure out names. Um, <laughs> you you but, think they'd have it written uh, down somewhere. You'd think. Well, first he called him Carlos and what was it, Spain, and then called him Darren here. And uh, But yeah, I just thought that it was a really interesting take on how McLaren has set up their team in terms of yeah, it, what it each driver focuses. Yeah, I mean, I think it, it, it adds more value. I think it kind of eases the runway for Ricardo too like while he is going through these struggles he still feels he's bringing things to the team and it's got to feel good if he is if he is bringing some insight that's helping the overall car performance and seeing Lando take advantage of those um and he's been saying like it's coming I'm getting there I'm working I'm getting more comfortable I'm getting more comfortable he said after this race I feel more I'm getting there I'm starting to be able to do some of the things I used to do I'm starting to really understand where I can push the limits where I can't. Um, and triple header. I mean, now is the time uh, yeah. if you want to take advantage. This is a big opportunity for McLaren to really solidify that third spot. Yeah. Well, I mean, the start of the race, I think it was turn two maybe where, you know, he calls himself the last of the late breakers and that's he finally was back into that where he was late breaking and that's what pulled him ahead of Lando. Um, so yeah, I, I am hopeful for him in this triple header. Um, I, I want to say he caught his stride, but you know, only time will tell. So definitely looking forward to Austria. Um, so as the race, as the race goes on, um, you start hearing drivers complaining about, the tires and yes. thinking that hey, starting in lap six, Hamilton. <laughs> Dude, Hamilton. I made Hamilton, that same note. Hamilton <laughs> never thinks he has full control of his vehicle. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, maybe that's what makes him as good as he is. <laughs> maybe <laughs> he, he undersells himself. <laughs> hey, what do they say? Uh, undersell overperform or whatever the phrase is he is he is he is the king the he king. should write a novel about underselling right. and overperforming then business classes yeah uh, I mean, but, but then my, the undercuts start this. getting started oh go ahead so no i was going to say my only question is uh at lap six when Hamilton is saying, hey, these tires seem to be dropping off a little bit faster than we anticipated, at that point in time, should Mercedes have said, we need to switch to plan B, go to two stops? Um, I don't know what you guys think. I, I, you know, I, I that's have an a opinion whole about discussion. Whether Mercedes, yeah, I, I have an opinion about whether they made the right call or not. My opinion is it's not, you know, it's just uninformed. Um, but I wanted to hear from from you guys. And we can cover that towards the end of the race, uh, uh, end of the podcast as well. Like, did Mercedes make the right call or not? Um, 
Yeah, just throwing it out there. I don't, I don't know if they made. So it's easy to look back after the rip and say you made a bad call. It mm-hmm. did come down close to the wire. Um, but the fact that you got played by the same move you've been beating other people with was kind of surprising for me just because you think if there was a team that understood it's a two-stop situation, it'd be Mercedes. So um, I right. pulled up some, some items from what Toto said afterwards. And he, he really, in the end, he just said we gambled and we lost. But what they thought was going to happen is they thought that Perez was going to get a five-second penalty in uh, lap 49. So that's why they kept Botox out there. Yep, they thought they said we thought maybe Perez gets a penalty for overtaking outside of the track limit. So we said stay within five seconds. So it really was balancing between that penalty and maybe getting fastest lap. So we gambled, we lost. So they. I always yeah. tell people don't budget your bonuses. This feels kind of like that, where like they were banking on something that may or may not have happened. When they had yeah. in their own control, they could have made a move to actually try and win this thing. Especially when Perez is a pretty clean driver, too. Yeah, I think they That's just... That's very interesting. They made, they made the wrong call. I mean, we heard Botox on the, uh, on the speaker saying they made the wrong call. Yeah. Yeah, there was a... Uh, there was some interesting radio discussions happening um lap 16 valtteri was told to bring it which again is the most valtteri message that could be given um (laughs) hey don't forget your racing (laughs) (laughs) you're making a lot of money to be here well i so Matt, I mean, so Matt went and I were, you know, live texting because what else are we going to do on a Sunday morning? Um, and Matt made a really good point that, and Matt, forgive me if I butcher this, but he basically just doesn't have the same aggression and the hunger that he doesn't, he doesn't have that hunting mentality He's so much more of a defensive player, and I think that sometimes that behooves Mercedes, but a lot of times it doesn't. And this season, he's, more often than not, it really hasn't. He's very conservative in a way that now that Red Bull has a solid number two driver, he can't just play defense because Perez is going to send it and try and make moves to get in that third spot, to get in that second spot. Yep that that I don't think Valtteri's had to deal with before necessarily where mm-hmm. he's been able to play defense and get away with it because the car's really good and no one else is really in the same category. Now it's like, dude, you have to be aggressive or else this is what's going to happen. Now I do kind of feel bad because he did make points that they should have done a double stop. Um. Now it's not that I, I now I, I won't say that I think that they just weren't listening to him. They obviously weren't listening to anybody. They made a decision as a team to stick with their strategy as opposed to right. to doing the double stop. I think 
I think for Botas, they had enough coverage. They should have stopped him twice. Like he wasn't under any threat from um, the eventual uh, fifth place finish. I think there was a, a 30 second gap. Uh, I think Hamilton, they would have stopped twice had Verstappen not made that mistake and had he not ended up in the lead. I think that's, I think they probably ended up making the best call they could because I think if they fit Hamilton twice, he has to battle through Perez in order to get second place. And if they know that the Red Bulls are faster, and given the fact that Verstappen passed him on what the penultimate lap, I I don't know. I think maybe Hamilton's strategy was the best that they could do. But Bodas, I do agree that he, I think, got screwed over. I think they could have stopped him twice. What, what are you guessing? Unless I'm missing the math on this. No, I mean, that's what the three of us were talking about um, while you were snoozing away. Uh, um, my beauty sleep. But we, I mean, <laughs> we, when he, you know, the radio call about, you should have let me pit twice. I told you this was a two-stop race. Uh, that's where... You know, we all started betting, when are they going to let him pit? Because he clearly needs to pit. And it just didn't happen. And it was bizarre. Like, he could have gone for fastest lap like he did in uh, Bahrain. You know, there were all these opportunities where he could have pitted because everyone knew that Perez was going to pass him. It was just a matter of, well, do you let him pass you when he's in the pits or do you just let him pass you and then you pit? Um, so there I, seems I to be a chemistry call. issue. There seems to be yeah. somewhat of like a chemistry issue with Mercedes right now that Red Bull just doesn't have. But Red Bull is there. There's a good synergy right now with Red Bull where Max knows his role is to go win things. Sergio knows his role is to protect, and they're trying to win a constructors championship. Everyone line everyone understands i mean it's a team it's it's it's, they're literally playing a team game right now where mercedes feels very fractured at the moment well and i i think red bull feels a little bit more cohesive right now because it's new and it's fresh and there isn't any history there and you know what was that i I said it's fun (laughs) Yeah, it it is. And I think Mercedes, you know, this has been the team for a while. And I think Valtteri has some bitterness about being the, I mean, everyone knows he's the number two driver, not that anyone will admit it. And there's clearly some fractures between him and Toto where Toto's blaming him on the wing nut getting stuck for 48 hours, which is a little ridiculous. So, yeah, I, I think there is something to be said about the cultures of the two teams right now. And I mean, Perez probably knows that Christian Horner drivers like Pokemon cards. So he's probably fighting really <laughs> hard to make sure he doesn't get relegated down to Alpha Tori. Fair. Ashish, what were you saying? Uh, as the, to the point about team chemistry, I was going to say how much the performance of the second driver impacts it. So, you know, in years past when it was uh, Max 
and Albon or Gasly or, you know, whoever else, uh, you know, you would hear Christian Horner or Verstappen make kind of, uh, you know, degrade, not not degrading comments, but kind of dismissing the performance of the second driver and calling them out. And you could say, oh, right. that's an example of a team that has bad team chemistry. And, you know, why are you calling us a second driver that way? And then uh, this year, now that they have Sergio Perez and who's, you know, kind of thrived under that that pressure and he is exactly that number two driver. I think things are starting to gel at, at Red Bull. They're like, okay, get yeah. it. Now let's not focus on Max and number two driver. We have two drivers who are both capable of winning a race, who are both capable of, you know, taking the fight to Mercedes, whereas Mercedes maybe suddenly this year, um, Botas' underperformance, Perez's better than expected performance, all of these are kind of factors into this kind of, well, frustration that's leaking out into the media in terms of these unnecessary comments which are not right. really helping anybody so um again it'll be it'll be i'm i'm waiting to see how much of the summer break um ends up improving things if at all depending on how mm-hmm. the next stretch of races through the summer goes right if if well if mercedes is able to find their stride who knows how this next happens sorry man i was gonna say i mean as far as like chemistry goes, I know we've said there's been a lot of talk about the second driver's seat and what are they going to do with Valtteri and George Russell. I mean, he kind of put Toto kind of put that to sleep. Uh, I think it was this past week where he said, we don't expect to make a move until possibly January, February of 2022. It's a smart move. It keeps Bodas focused and hungry for that seat. I mean, imagine if they make the call in the middle of the year where they're in the Constructors' Championship and suddenly you have Botas with zero motivation. I mean, uh, how much how much does that impact them, right? So I think it's a smart move to say, basically dangle that carrot in front of Valtteri and say, well, you know, there's that one-year contract extension if you do end up playing the role of the second driver and, uh, it, you know, really, really well. Uh, I mean, that's what else would you do if you're in Toto's position, right? You know, delay it until the end of yeah. the season for the second second seat, then make the call. I mean, where would he go if he, if they decide to part ways? That's the thing. I mean, I, I talked to you all about my chaos theory <laughs> yesterday <laughs> with, with Gasly going to Mercedes and then George Russell going to Alvatore and then Botas somehow back at Williams, but I just that really seems like the only place he would be able to go. I will say before you jump into where he would go, uh, George Russell getting 12 at Williams yes. for me, put to sleep the fact that he wouldn't be like, he's definitely going to be that second Mercedes driver if they make a move. Yeah. But, but yeah. Where, where does, where does Valtteri go? If, if, if he's dropped. I, he doesn't I have mean, to I go think anywhere. Williams I mean, is where everyone's, saying but yeah he'd go ahead of she she doesn't have to go anywhere not to go anywhere i mean he can i mean there's plenty of drivers like you know they don't make their shot and then they exit the sport roman goes on you know marcus i mean the, the list is long he doesn't have to go anywhere especially if he's not yeah. getting sponsorship dollars yeah so it would be weird to see him leave because he's not like a terrible driver. Yeah, it is. It uh, is no, he's it is a good driver. Shot. 
It's a ruthless sport. It's a ruthless sport. It is. And well, a re- look at there's a reason Checo why so many- last year. Yeah. Like, Checo 2020, December 2020, he didn't know that he was going to stay in F1, and here he is winning races for Red Bull and leading the Constructors' Championship. Like, you never know what's going to shake out. I mean, that was signed in, what, 2019 as well? Yeah. He didn't know where he was going to go either. Yeah. He thought he was going to be out. It's insane, but I guess when you have 20 spots to fill and all those contracts are up, if you're playing musical chairs and your team doesn't like you, but you have nowhere to go, you're just, I guess, taking a sabbatical <laughs> on your sport. Yeah, pretty much. So, moving on in, into the race here, there was a moment in particular that was talked about a little bit where Norris and Gasly got locked up a little bit. Um where Gasly tried to prevent Norris and like you see the driver view for Norris where Gasly's just flying from right to left across the track <laughs> to try and block him. Uh, but I will say it, it just kind of got me thinking that age group is a lot of fun to watch right now. They are. That core. And I know ashish has got some thoughts on that. <laughs> well, no, I mean, I, th- this should be the you know the future of Formula One. I, I've kind of been a big proponent of you know instead of Fernando Alonso coming back to Alpine, why not give that to a young driver? You know, Kimi Raikkonen, right. same thing. Like, you know, nothing against them, but man, I mean, you guys have been in the sports for decades. Like, there's there there are really good Formula Two drivers and you know Formula Three drivers who are just we just need that opportunity that 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 chance to come up and uh you know race for these teams and uh, we need some we need some new blood but um i mean the realities are you know this is all driven by money right you know alpine needs alonso to attract sponsors same thing with alpha but uh i hope you know somebody somebody's taking a look at this and saying look you know this is what you get when you have young drivers fighting it out on the track, it, 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 you know, it encourages the fan base, you know, how many, uh, you know, kids are probably getting, you know, McLaren t-shirts and becoming lifelong McLaren fans because of what they, what they're seeing, you know, um, and, you know, all due respect, you know, Alonso isn't going to be making TikTok videos to engage with your 18 year old base, you know, Kimi Raikkonen <laughs> isn't going to, yeah, I I don't see those guys doing it, right? So, uh, like if you if you're thinking about long term future, you know you need you need some young blood. Otherwise, you know your fan base is going to be as old as your driver base, and I mean that's not going to be good for anybody. Go the way. Well, so true. Have 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 there? I mean, I'm I'm assuming that Formula One drivers are typically in that age range or age age range. I can't speak. I'm assuming that drivers are typically in that age range, uh, or is that is this kind of out of the norm? I think it I think it comes and goes in in waves. I think you always have this young batch, right? Especially in the lower tier of teams, where uh, you know they're trying to get young talent, um, and you'll always have some hanger hangers on. But unless they're bringing in sponsorship dollars, those guys are. Um, those guys are, are are out, or you know they have some pedigree that you know, brings some money into the team. So I think it's 
always been a constant. And then you also have your pay drivers kind of sprinkled in there. Um, I, I won't name names, but I think we all know who they are. Um, but yeah, Matthew, original point. Uh, you know, some of the most exciting racing is, is happening in that midfield pack right now between the guys that we uh, just talked about. It's always cool seeing the pictures of all these guys and they're young too. And like, they'll do flashbacks on various documentaries, whatever it may be. And like, even the guys in the picture who aren't the ones being talked about, you're like, Oh, there's George Russell. So they're like, Oh, there's. Yeah. Yeah. Science. Like it's just, it's so random, but it's, it's, it's kind of cool. Uh, there's definitely this like driver fraternity. It seems like uh, it starts at a young age and they, these guys obviously see a lot of each other. They also all look the same. Matt, <laughs> looks like his four-year-old self it just yeah they don't a age longer body. they don't age their that's very true the but their faces stay the same it's a formula one driver thing <laughs> and just a, a real quick aside i did look up the average age this is from 2019 but the average age of the drivers in 2019 was 26 and three months which was the youngest average of the modern era since it began in 1950 but it does kind of make a note that the average is kind of pulled up by Kimmy because Kimmy is in his 40s. <laughs> so if 2019 was the youngest, then I, I, I would be willing to bet that this year is the youngest that we've had. It's probably pretty close. Overall. Yeah. yeah. But, uh, you keep it a little bit towards the younger end, but Kimmy keeps getting older, so excuse it to the other side, so it's probably going to hover around that number somewhere. Well, is, hasn't UT been alive as long as Kimmy's been in the sport? Yes. <laughs> yes. yes. So that's that, that, that'll cancel each other out, I think. Um. So when Kimmy retires, it will be the youngest average in modern era. Kimmy and Alonzo, yes. Yeah. So, I'm other parts too, get... I just jumped over you. She said again. Oh no, I said. Uh, no, sorry. Go ahead. No. Well, so as far as the back to the race here, um, before we get to the pivotal Max versus Lewis moment, did you guys have anything else kind of in between leading up to that? No, I mean, there was a good oh, midfield no. battle um, that mostly consisted of Ferrari being passed by a lot of people. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, I mean, Hamilton, given the age of his tires, he, he really does preserve his tires well for all of his... My tires are gone. They aren't lasting, you know. Well, and they and they did tell him too. They're like, "Look, Lewis, you've handled, you've done it before. We've handled this before. Like, do your thing." Right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Just shut up and drive, man. Yeah. You know you can do it. Um, also, so slide aside, um, Max's radio issues had me very nervous for him. Yes, that was a big part of this, where he couldn't talk to him. Yeah, he could hear, but he he could not talk to them at all. And I I was very nervous that that breakdown 
literal breakdown in communication was going to kind of ruin his race. I mean, I can't imagine not being able to relay information back. Maybe it helped him because he wasn't getting distracted. You know, maybe that's part of it as well. You know, he was just, you know, usually these guys are telling the engineers to to stop talking to them. Maybe this is one of those cases where like, hey, maybe just let them do what they need to do. And giving them a whole bunch of extraneous information doesn't actually help them, you know, race better or overtake better. But. Um, well, he, he could hear them. He, they just couldn't hear anything he was saying. And at one point, they told him to adjust his microphone when he was next to <laughs> two, which I can't imagine sticking your hand up into your helmet at 200 miles an hour. To, right after he said adjust the microphone. On the <laughs> right, yeah. Um, but yeah, no, I think, Matt, if you want to take us into the pivotal moment of the race. Yeah, so, I mean, I think what made this strategy so much fun for this race was that it came down to the very bitter end where Max, man, he just hunted the entire race and he finally got that opportunity. And Lewis, you could tell, just didn't have the tires or the grip to really fight him off. Uh, he, he, He... Lewis didn't really have a chance at that point. It was, it was game over. Max overtook him with ease. And I don't know if you saw, I think Formula One social media posted it, one of the fan views of the overtake. And I want more of that. The fan view, the fan uh, reaction to things at the race, because you get a lot of that for other sports, like here in America for like college football, it's always great to get like a big play from in the stadium. Dude, give me that for Formula One because it was so cool seeing everyone just go nuts, seeing him pass Lewis. And I don't think people are cheering for Lewis to lose necessarily, but, I mean, you're in the second-to-last lap, and you have two heavyweight fighters going at it. And Max, I mean, look, he didn't lead at all in the race, and he gets to a point where he just he took it from him. Um Great day for Red Bull. Great day for Red Bull. Yeah, I I think the my favorite part of the end of the race was Christian getting on the radio and yelling, payback, payback. <laughs> Which I mean to see, we talk so much about Mercedes strategy in Spain and I, man, to have that used against I mean, them. Almost exactly. That was that was impressive. I feel like they didn't have. I think they did the best that they could. I I, I think the the interviews with Hamilton towards the end of the race, he was like, "Look, they just had a faster car. We got super lucky at the at the at the beginning of the race." And um, you know, I, I don't think str- strategy wise for Hamilton, they could have made another decision now could they have fitted him a lap earlier while max was putting in a much better than expected in lap and out lap maybe um but that's just kind of you know hindsight of 2020 i guess uh going back to something that you guys we were discussing earlier about the, the trust i'll say that lap 29 two drivers made a call about pitting 
for a second time. Verstappen says, we can't keep doing this. We, and basically, the message was here to fit. And Red Bull pulls them in. Bodas calls and says, hey, why? Let's, let's pit. Can't make it last at the end of the race. They don't listen to him. I don't know if it was because they expected him to hold off Verstappen towards the tail end of the race because they knew they were going to keep Lewis out. But, or was it more of a, we don't trust you, we trust our data, and so we're going to keep you out towards the end of the race? I, I don't, I don't Which know. Which is kind of sad, man. Um, like, this guy's been on your team for years now, and for them to, to, to kind of write off, I, I mean, Max got fastest lap as well. I just don't understand when you knew you weren't going to take advantage. Like you knew you lost the race and they knew like it was coming eventually there at the end. I don't know why they didn't go after fastest lap. I, it doesn't make any sense to me because okay, we are in a title. We're in a fight where every point is going to matter. I thought they did. Didn't they pit Botas right towards the end? I think that's that for us. I definitely remember seeing the Mercedes pit crew go out but did he not come in? I don't think so. He only did one. He only did one stop. I thought Bodas only did one stop. Hold on. Hold on. Well, We're verifying. Uh-oh. We're verifying. That's that's a good question. Number one story. Why the fuck does no one listen to me? Botas. <laughs> <laughs> Well, we almost didn't have an explicit episode. <laughs> Regardless, didn't get fastest lap, didn't win the race, A probably the most disappointing two and four any team's had in a long time. Yeah. Because uh, most teams would be fired up for a two and four finish. Um but props to Red Bull, man. They they if they can take advantage of back to back home tracks, um, I'm hoping they don't. I'm hoping that this this battle back and forth can keep going. Um, but there might be a little bit of a gap here <laughs> at the end yeah. of the next three couple races. Yeah, I think the fight's heating up. I mean, this is what the fans wanted. It looks like Red Bull has the upper hand, so it's now a question of whether a team that hasn't won a world championship in many years but has won it in the past is able to manage their, you know, young driver being in in front of the in front of the championship. Uh, you know, are they able to, you know, regain some of their magic? And then at the same time, question for Mercedes: like, do they are they able to buckle down and be like, you know, the eight-time winning team or, you know, uh, not eight times, but, uh, you know, you know, are they able to recreate the success of the last, you know, six years, seven years? Right, yeah. So, as far as just, like, other drivers I wanted to mention as we, we wrap up the race here, uh, or drivers and teams, Aston Martin, both ending in the points. What a race yeah. from Lance Stroll. Um, wasn't talked about enough, but Lance Stroll really showed out in this race. Um, Vettel struggled a little bit, but stayed in the points. I think both of them staying in the points, especially with that fight against uh, Alphatari and Alpine. I mean, Alphatari and Alpine 
Ocon and Sonoda. Sonoda had an, had a good day going up seven spots, but still, I know with, with the way Gasly's been driving, you really hope to see Sonoda at least getting that 10th, ninth spot sometimes. But right. he'll get there. This was his highest finish, I think, right? It was 13th for Sonoda? No, it wasn't. That was 10th. No, he just got 10th. That was, no. Then there we go. Yeah, he got 10th. He definitely got 20th. <laughs> but, yeah, so those were a couple things I noticed. Um, Ferrari struggles, obviously, was a big headliner of the day. Um, McLaren putting the clamps down on that middle, the, the, the top half middle area with five and six. Uh, that was big for them. Um, but other, outside of that, I mean, really the story was, Lewis and Max. Yeah. And what a story it was. What's going on? This is for Yuki, his highest race finish was seven. Um, he was also born in the year 2000, if y'all want to feel real old. Yep. Wow. I remember the year 2000, clearly. Because <laughs> he's 21. 21, yeah. Mm-hmm. 21. I was alive and well and moving in elementary school in the year 2000. <laughs> <laughs> any any post-race thoughts from you guys? I am very excited to see what Austria brings. I uh, look I'm kind of looking forward. You, you guys touched on it. Uh, I, I wonder whether that slim leads that. Uh, Alpha Tauri has over Aston Martin evaporates because Aston is getting performance out of both drivers, whereas Gasly seems to be pulling the weight for uh, for Alpha Tauri. So you know mm-hmm. maybe that that may be that that over the rest of the season maybe that you know Sebastian's continued uh, growth uh, you know maybe a few, maybe a little bit of less bad luck for Lance Stroll and a few mistakes. I mean they're well into that. Uh, they'll, they'll, they'll leapfrog um, um, Alpha. I mean, uh, uh, yeah, Alpine. Sorry. Alpine is a little bit far away, but I think they'll, they'll probably get them too. So, as far as looking ahead to the Austrian back to back Austrian Grand Prix, um, Historically, is that one Red Bull had obviously been the home track? Is that one that they've done done well in, or it seems like home tracks are kind of a death wish? <laughs> At least this year it has been. I don't think that they have historically performed at their best there. Obviously, they are on a bit of a streak right now, so I am very interested to see if that continues or, you know, if they kind of have the curse of the home track. Um, McLaren and Ferrari have the most wins at the Austrian Grand Prix. So. Well, those are also two of the oldest teams, so. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) That makes sense. Yeah, and some Mercedes. Red Bull, so. so last last time we were we were in Austria, it looks like uh, oh yeah, Valtteri won. He, he got pole position and he won the race. Leclerc got, uh, Leclerc got second. Lando got third. So keep that in mind when you're setting your fantasy lineups. 
Was that 2019 or 2020? 2020. Oh, wow. Well, this one. Good Hamilton snow. Six. What happened to Hamilton in 2020 for this race? I'm going to have to look. Might have been when he had COVID. Yeah. No, that was, that was November, December. We'll talk about it next Ashish, time. would you like to leave the podcast? Any lasting thoughts on the Austrian Grand Prix before we shut this thing down uh no i was actually um at the back uh the austin company the, the one that we have right now is relatively new so i think it's i was trying to see if i could find the race results for the last um you know five years or so to see who is um uh, who is one of most i want to say mercedes has dominated okay yeah, so and Mercedes has owned the rest. Yeah. So um Nico Rosberg won it in 2014, 2015. Mm. Max won it in 2018, 2019, and Bottas won it in 2017 and 2020. So has Lewis never won this one? Yeah, Lewis has never Lewis won has it. never won the Austrian Grand Prix. He'll have two chances to do it. Mm. Good to know. He still has first. I can't believe he still has first for anything at this point. (laughs) Right. (laughs) Oh yeah, Mercedes twenty fourteen. Yeah. Okay. Ready. Well. We have some shaved ice to go eat. Yeah. Hands. Yeah. (laughs) Still. uh, It's five thirty here. It's time. Time for some desserts. Uh, but that's it for this week of the F1 pod. Join us again next week as we'll be covering the Austrian Grand Prix. And then the following week, we'll be covering it again. But the good news is that we will all be back in the same room yet again with our high-quality microphone and not having to use three telephones, two Zooms to record this thing. Uh, so bear with us. Thanks for, for powering through this one. Um, but we're back to normal next week. Looking forward to to getting after it. Are you guys going to be at Ballard Station on Sunday? Absolutely, noon. We have a new, new we have a new established time, so we're going to show up at noon. Take the back table. So if you guys are in Seattle, Ballard, show up. And thanks, Mike and Whitney, for making the time on your vacation to join the pod. We're happy to. Yeah. Do it. We're happy to do it. anything for the pod. Uh, well, Whitney and I will be there to watch as well. So looking forward to meeting up at Ballard Station and watching a great rerun of the of the race. All right, All right I'm guys. gonna. We're done. I'm just gonna cut it right here. We're done. All right then. <laughs> Thanks, everybody. Troy Butsu Barnes. <laughs> I don't know what that was, but okay. <laughs>